I know there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. Romeo Delari, this was the Rwanda genocide, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So before I get into the genocide, I'm going to look at the country and the lead up to it. The earliest inhabitants of today's Rwanda were the Twa, an Aboriginal pygmy hunter-gatherers who settled there about 8000 BC and again in 3000 BC and are still in Rwanda today. Then around 700 BC to 1500 AD came a, num a number of Bantu groups which would eventually split into two, the Hutu and Tutsi. The three, Hutu, Tutsi and Twa, which are a common language known as Banyarwanda. At first there was clans and then by 1700 there was about eight kingdoms. The kingdom of Rwanda was ruled by the Tutsi Nyayigenya and it achieved its greatest extent under King Wabardiye from 1853 until 1895. He expanded the kingdom west and north and began administrative reforms. These caused a huge rift amongst the Hutus and Tutsis. The king's reforms included Uberetwa, a system of forced labour which the Hutu had to do to get back land taken from them. Then you had the Yubuhaki which had Tutsi patrons give Catholic cattle to Hutu or Tutsi clients. This would give them economic and personal services. Hutu and Tutsi would be treated differently, but shared the same language, culture, customs, and the symbols of kingship. These served as a united bond between them. Rwanda and Burundi were assigned to Germany by Berlin Conference of 1884. Germany would become present in the country in 1897 when they formed an alliance with the king. Germans ruled through the Rwanda monarchy. This had colonization with small European troops. Colonists would rather the Tutsi than the Hutu when given administrative roles, feeling they were racially superior. Rwanda's king welcomed the Germans with open arms, using their military strength to widen his rule. 1917, during World War I, Belgian forces took over control. From 1926, they began a more direct colony rule. The Belgians modernized the economy, but the Tutsi supremacy still remained. Early 1930s, Belgium introduced a permanent classification of ethnic groups. Hutu represented 84%, Tutsi with 15%, and Twa with 1%. Identity cards were introduced and you needed to have one. This had your identity as Tutsi, Hutu or Twa, or naturalized. Before the cards wealthy, Hutus could become honorary Tutsis, but with the cards that all stopped. 
Christian missionaries would promote a theory of Hamitic or uh, origins of the kingdom, referring to the distinctively Ethiopian features, placing the Tutsi in a quote-unquote caste. This provided the basis for an anti-Tutsi propaganda in 1994. After World War II, a Hutu freedom movement started to gain momentum in Rwanda which was fueled by resentment of the interwar social reforms and for sympathy for the Hutu in the Catholic Church. Catholic missionaries saw it their responsibility to empower the underprivileged Hutu. This led to the quick formation of a good-sized Hutu clergy and educated elite that gave a new counterbalance to create political order. The monarchy and the Tutsi Tutsi felt the growing surge of the Hutu and became itchy for a fast independence on their terms. 1957, a group of scholars of Hutu wrote the Bat Hutu Manifesto. It denounced the supposed exploitations of the Hutus by the ethnic Tutsi and called for power to be transferred from Tutsi to Hutu in what was called statistical law. November 1st, 1959, a Hutu sub-chief was attacked in his home by supporters of pro-Tutsis. The sub-chief lived, but rumours had it that he had been killed. So Hutu activists looked for revenge, killing Tutsi both elite and civilians. This was the start of the Rwanda Revolution. The Tutsi would respond with their own attack but by the time the Hutu had full support of the Belgium administration, who wanted the dominant Tutsi overturned. Early 1960s, Belgians replaced nearly all Tutsi chiefs with Hutu and had a mid-year commune election, which came back majority Hutu. The king was deposed. Hutu was now the dominant republic and the country was independent in 1962. As the revolution went on, Tutsis began fleeing to escape Hutu purges. These exiles were regarded as refugees and began to immediately want for, for a return to Rwanda. They formed armed groups launching attacks into Rwanda, which were largely unsuccessful and led to more killings of 10,000 Tutsi and even more Tutsi exiles. By 1964, over 300,000 Tutsis fled and had stayed in exile for the next 30 years. K.A. Banda presided over a Hutu Republic until he was overthrown in a 1973 coup. Then President Javier E. Mana came to power. He founded the National Republic Movement for Democracy and Development Party in 1975. In 1978, he promulgated a new constitution, making the country a one-party state in which every citizen had to belong to that party. Rwanda's population density is the highest in Africa, and the population grew from 1.6 million in 1934 to 7.1 million in 1989 leading to competition for land. 
The EAT's about 500 Rwandan refugees in Uganda, led by Ruiga Yama, a political and military officer, fought the Rebel National Resistance Army, or NRA, in the Ugandan Bush War. The Ugandan army would then plan to invade Rwanda through a covert network within the army ranks. October 1990, Rubigyama led 4,000 rebels advancing into Rwanda under the banner Rwanda Patriotic Front, or RPF. He was killed on a day three of the attack. France and Sari deployed support to Rwanda army. This allowed them to repel the invasion. Paul K. Gam took command of the RPF. He organized a tactical retreat to the mountains. Here they rearmed and reorganized the army. They also carried out recruitment from the Tutsi Disposera. K. Gam reignited the war on January 1991 with a surprise attack. The RPF held the area for one day before retreating to the forest. For a year, the RPF did a hit-and-run style guerrilla war, gaining some border areas but not making a dint against the Rwandan army. June 1992, with a multi-party coalition formed in Kigali, the RPF announced a ceasefire and started negotiations with the Rwandan government. Early 1993, extremist Hutu groups began campaigns of huge violence against the Tutsi. RPF abandoned their peace talks, launching a major attack. Peace talks would begin again, resulting in the Arusha Accords Agreement. It was signed August 1993, and this gave the RPF positions in a board-based transitional government, or BBTG, and positions in the National Army. Peacekeepers arrived in the country, RPF got a base in the National Parliament building in Kilgali to use while the BBTG set up. In the early years there was economic prosperity and so the violence to the Tutsis went down, but hardliners remained. October 1990, RPF invaded and the hardliners exploited people's fears to advance anti-Tutsi agenda which became known as Hutu power. The Tutsi would become more and more suspicious. A pogrom or violent riot to massacre a specific group was organized in October 1990, killing over 380 Tutsis. Military officers and government members created the Kangura magazine, which would become popular in the country. The magazine was anti-Tutsi and included the Ten Commandments of Hutu, which had Hutus who married Tutsis called traitors. 1992, the hardliners set up the Coalition for the Defence of the Republic, CDR Party. The President's entourage, including Army, wanted to have the economy, social and political conflict look like it was ethnic conflict. So they launched propaganda campaigns fabricating events of ethnic crisis caused by the Tutsi and the RPF. This would be called mirror politics or accusation in a mirror. This is when someone accuses another of what the accuser actually wants to do or happen.
1992 ceasefire agreement after this extremists in the Rwanda government and army started to plot against the president. President Habyarimana tried to remove the hardliners from senior positions but was only partially successful. In 1992, hardliners carried out campaigns of local killings of Tutsi. In February 1993, RPF would resume hostilities, citing the killings as the main motive, but its aim was to increase support. Mid-1993, the Hutu power movement was a third major force in Rwanda politics. Almost every party was split into moderate and power wings with members of both claiming to represent true leadership of that party. The ruling party had a power wing, with those who opposed the intentions to sign a peace deal that Haber Yara Imama was pushing. Many radical youth militia groups emerged. They would actively carry out massacres all over the country. So many, many historians argue the, geno the genocide was planned well before Habyar-e-Mana's assassination, but don't agree on the exact date, which the idea came about. In 1992, it has been suggested that's when Habyar-e-Mana started negotiating with RPF, and 1990 was also suggested after RPF invaded. 1990, the army started to give weapons to civilians like machetes. The army then started training the youth in combat. The program would be officially called Civil Defense Against the RPF. But later, these provided weapons and train those provided weapons and training were used to carry out the genocide. Hutu power leaders organized a parliamentary force called the inter ahamur or those who stand together and the impuza mogambi or those who have set the same goal these groups gave auxiliary slaughterhouse support to the police and the army these militias came from the hutus in the north who were driven from their homes by the eve of the genocide, the militias were said to be as large as 50,000. Rwanda bought large amounts of grenades and weapons from late 1990. Uh, the Rwanda Armed Forces, or FAR, grew rapidly at this time and growing from 10,000 to 30,000 in just a year. New recruits weren't great. Often unruly, a divide began between the elite presidential guard and gendarmerie units. They were all they were all well trained and all were ready for battle. March 1993, Hutu power was making a list of traitors who they wanted dead. CDR were publicly accusing President Habyarimana of treason. This had some belief that his name must be on the list. Power groups saw Radio Rwanda too liberal, so they created a new station called Radio Televisi Libre d'Emilia Collins, or RTML. RTLM target audience was young adults and was accessible from the cities to the rural farmers. 
The station took a western style of broadcasting with popular music, interviews and audience participation. Only 1.5% was dedicated to news. As the genocide approached, RTLM was more focused on anti-Tutsi propaganda. They would say Tutsis were dangerous enemies who wanted political power at the expense of the Hutus. RTML went on to amplify ethnic and political division, calling Tutsi Inyenzi or non-human, a pest that needs to be exterminated. Broadcast would say, quote, someone must make them disappear for good, to wipe them from human memory, to exterminate the Tutsi from the surface of the earth, end quote. When the violence started, the young Hutu population had months of racist propaganda, saying the Tutsis were dangerous, they must be killed before they took control. RTLM's part in the uh, genocide had been called Radio Machete, relating to their incitements. 1993 hardliners imported machetes on a huge scale. They also had other tools like razor blades, saws and scissors that would become weapons. The weapons were given out around the country. October 1993, President of Burundi was assassinated by extremist Tutsi army officers. This sparked the Burundi civil war between Burundi Hutu and Tutsi and then the Burundi genocide where 50 to 100,000 were killed in just one year. The assassination was a complete shock, reinforcing Tutsi were enemies and were not to be trusted. This would be used to the CDR's advantage to persuade the Hutu population to carry out killings. Power leaders began arming Interharamo with AK-47s and other weapons. January 11, 1994, General Delari, commander of UNAMIR, UNAMIR, sent his genocide facts to UN headquarters. It suspected a genocide against Tutsis was being planned. Delari wanted his informant of this information protected and his family. April 6, 1994, President Habyarimana and the Hutu president of Burundi were on a plane and as it prepared to land in Kilgali, the plane was shot down, killing everybody on board. RPF and Hutu extremists were blamed. Many believed the attack and death of the two of the two served as the spark to the genocide. Later that day, a crisis committee was created, headed by Colonel Bag Osova. Prime Minister Yulianya Manana would be next in line for president, but the committee refused to recognize her. UNAMIR Unarmia sent 10 Belgian soldiers to escort her to take her to Rwanda, to the Radio Rwanda to address the nations. But this was cancelled as the president guard had taken the station and they wouldn't let her speak on air. Later, soldiers and civilians would overwhelm the Belgium escorts, forcing them to surrender the weapons. Yulianya Manana and her husband were killed. Her children were rescued by Singali's 
UNAMIR officer Diang. The Belgium escorts were taken to Camp Kilgally. They were tortured and killed. Major Nutyanaga, commanding officer of the President Guard, the unit to do the murders, he was sentenced in 2007 to 20 years by the Belgian courts. Extremists spent the night of April 6th going around homes in Kilgali to politicians and journalists on a mission to kill them all. A few survived but the plot overall was a huge success. Genocidal killings started the next day. Soldiers, police and militia quickly executed key Tutsi and moderate Hutu military and political leaders. Checkpoints and barricades sprung up to screen all holders of Rwanda ID cards. This allowed government forces to identify and kill Tutsis. Hutu civilians were told to arm themselves with machetes, clubs, anything that could be a weapon. They were told to rape, maim, and kill Tutsis. They were also told to destroy or steal Tutsi property. RPF restarted offensive soon after Habyari Mana's assassination. It quickly got control of the north and captured Kigali by mid-July, which had the genocide end. In these events and after, the UN, US, UK and Belgium were all criticised for not helping, not strengthening the force and not mandating the UNAMIR peacekeepers. December 2017, media reported that they found out the government of France allegedly at the time supported the Hutu government after the genocide began. So the large scale of the killing of Tutsis because of ethnicity started hours after the president's death. The crisis committee took power and was the principal authority coordinating the genocide. After the assassination, the head of the crisis committee, Bagosova, immediately issued orders to kill Tutsis. He went in person to Kigali and addressed the Interhamaru. He called to speak to the leaders and the prefectors. Other organizers included defense minister, uh, commander and head of president guard. RTLM was funded by businessman Kabuga and the Interhamaru along with the Impusam Ngambi. Military leaders in Gizinye Prefecture was at first the most organized. The commanders would announce the president's death and blame the RPF. They told the crowd of the Interhamru and Hutu civilians to start their work and spare not a soul not even children. This killing went throughout prefectures on April 7th. Each case had orders to kill Tutsis from the rumours that the RPF killed the president. The Hutu population did what they were told, no questions asked. Kilgali, the genocide was led by the presidential guard, the Interharamur and the Imputsim Gambi would help and they would set up roadblocks in the capital. To pass the roadblock, you had to show your national ID card, which had your ethnicity. Anyone with Tutsi on their cards were killed on the spot.
Militia started to search houses, killing Tutsi and tossing the property. Rural areas had local government the chair of command for the execution of the genocide. Commune leaders would issue directions to the leaders of sectors, cells and villages within the communes. Most of the killings happened in the countryside, carried out by ordinary civilians from orders by leaders. The Tutsi and Hutus before this lived side by side. They knew each other. They were neighbours. So it was very easy for Hutus to point out Tutsis. Few killings would happen in the prefectures of Gitarama and Brutar in the beginning as they were moderate against violence. The genocide started in Gitarama after the interim government relocated to the prefecture on April 12th. Butar was ruled by the only Tutsi prefect, Jean Baptiste Habya Limana. He refused to okay any killings in his area, and for some time, Butar was a safe place for Tutsi refugees. But this only lasted until April 18th when the interim government booted Habya Limana from his post and replaced him with Nezabinya, who was a government loyalist. April 8th, the Crisis Committee appointed an interim government. All political parties were represented in the government, but nearly all members were from Hutu power wings. April 9th, the interim government was sworn in, but by April 12th, it relocated to Gitaruma, fleeing the RPF's advances in Kilgali. The crisis committee would dissolve, but Bagazova and senior officers remained de facto rulers of the country. For the rest of April and into May, the presidential guard, the gendarmerie and the youth militia, with help from locals, kept the killings at a very high rate. The aim to kill every single Tutsi living in Rwanda. Domestic opposition was eliminated and UNAMIR weren't allowed to use force unless it was self-defense. Urban areas used the roadblocks to identify Tutsis. Thousands of bodies were dumped into the river Kagera. This caused damage to the fishing industry due to the fear the fish was tainted by the corpses. Teams would be dispatched to remove the bodies before they got to the Lake Victoria. RPF would make slow and steady gains in north and east, stopping the killings in the areas occupied. Large numbers of Hutus fled these RPF conquered areas, fearing revenge for the genocide. In the remaining prefectures, killings still went on but were low key and sporadic. June 2023, 2,500 soldiers entered southwest Rwanda as part of the French-led UN operation called Operation Turquoise. This was supposed to be a humanitarian mission, but the soldiers weren't able to save lives. The genocidal authorities openly welcomed the French, had French flags even flying undercars but still killed Tutsis who thought it was safe to come out of hiding. July, RPF completed their conquest of the country, apart from zones occupied by Operation Turquoise. July 4th, RPF took Kilgali. 
by July 18th they took the rest of the Northwest. The genocide was over. Hutu population fled to Zari along with Bagasova and other leaders. The succeeding RPF government claims over 1 million were killed in the genocide. 94% of that were Tutsis. Thousands of widows, many who were raped, became HIV positive. Over 400,000 children were orphaned, and nearly 85,000 of them were now the head of the family. About 2 million Rwandas, mostly Hutus, became refugees. I'm going to pause it there as a lot more is yet to come. Like means of killing, killing of the Twa, the international involvement and the aftermath. Join me next time for the conclusion of the Rwanda genocide. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil. <laughs>